This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into episode number 113 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson here recording on this Monday night, May 30th, as we are just uh, in the middle or just at the start, I should say, of period number three uh, for the Carolina Hurricanes and the New York Rangers. Unfortunately, through two periods of play, Nick, uh, only one team has shown up so far. Uh, So either we're going to be talking about either we're going to be talking about what we think we're going to be talking about, which is the Rangers having a date with uh, the two-time Stanley Cup uh, back-to-back champs in Tampa Bay, or we're talking about one of the wildest comebacks in Game 7 history. Um, I know what my money's on, um, but other than that, uh, Nick, it's a pleasure to have you in here as always. We'll talk all things related to the second round and start of round number three in our extra ice session today. We do have some women's hockey news to touch on. Their schedule did get released for next season, and they do have a couple of transfers coming in. And then the middle of the show uh, is kind of uh, not a fun topic to be talking about. Uh, The CHL Hockey Canada World Junior lawsuit from the 2018 Canadian uh, World Junior team. We'll touch on that uh, and everything coming out of that as well. But we start, as always, with Center Ice View News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated with Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Illustrated Weekly Roundup here, Noah, and thanks for bearing with me again with my uh, sort of a tent setup, if you could call it, uh, just getting in from uh, South Florida this uh, evening. Lucky to actually uh, get the chance to be here with you tonight. Um, lots going on, right? Lots going on in the NHL, even though it is the end of May here on Memorial Day. Uh, how about this? John Tortorella, uh, the, I don't know if you want to call it the prize coach anymore, but definitely uh, <laughs> seems to be a, uh, I definitely uh, has NHL experience uh, having an interview with the Philadelphia Flyers, um, although no decision has come from the organization yet on a head coaching decision. I'd imagine more interviews are to follow, um, and I would imagine most teams in the situation, Noah, will wait till the end of the season uh, just in case any sort of assistance on some of these maybe Stanley Cup winning teams or um, long playoff teams become available also for an interview. Um, let's keep things in the front office, though, because there's also some movement in those areas. How about the Vancouver Canucks? This one I do like. Henrik and Daniel Sedin uh, moving on from a special advisors to the general manager and now into new roles in player development within the organization. Then also kind of 
coming back in to fill those spots. Uh, former NHLers Mike Komisarek and uh, Michael Samuelson. So a couple of familiar names there. Mike Komisarek, familiar with the Toronto Maple Leafs um, also as well to fill up some of that more developmental staff. Um, speaking of Toronto, since uh, I did mention Mike Komisarek, who spent a few seasons on the blue line there for the Maple Leafs, Jason Spezza finally um, retiring from the game of hockey. He's played his last uh, NHL game, uh, but not last game uh, for hockey. He's going to be joining the Toronto front office. And uh, this makes sense here, Noah. Uh, a guy with that much of experience, uh, uh, 38 years of age, 995 career points, 1,248 games played in the National Hockey League between Ottawa, Dallas, and Toronto. Uh, 25 points in 71 games this season, only one point in five postseason appearances uh, for the Maple Leafs this season. But um, again, Noah, uh, this is a great guy. Uh, a big reason why Toronto went out and got him was uh, his on and off life uh, ICU, uh, leadership. I can't speak today. Apparently it must be the salt water. Um, <laughs> uh, something like that. Uh, but uh, really, really good move here for both the, uh, the Maple Leafs and for Jason Spezza. And I imagine he's going to be quite the gem to have in a front office role. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I think the thing that bites for him is, you know, five points away from uh, silver stick uh, or whatever it would be for a thousand games. A silver stick, I guess, is for a thousand games played, but yes. a thousand points it would be kind of cool to be a part of that club. But uh, yeah, a lot of good front office moves. I kind of wonder uh, if you're working uh, as a Vancouver Canuck, uh, you know, executive front office, player development, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the real question is, how do you tell uh, Henrik and Daniel apart? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a difficult task i think when you go to work every day um they're both uh equally as talented on and off the ice uh, with their roles within the team so kind of an interesting little concept but yeah toronto um jason spezza a really exciting move for the leafs um actually within our huskies illustrated weekly roundup probably not the best move that the maple leafs have made so far in this offseason though their next one uh, another 38 year old that got locked up uh pretty impressive uh moves here uh with the maple leafs so far yeah, so far. And as we mentioned before, uh, you know, again, another first round exit, but this one felt different. Right. And uh, after the news uh, that uh, Kyle Dubison, as well as uh, Sheldon Keefe would be returning, uh, it seems like, again, more of the same in terms of keeping that uh, player group together again, uh, inking uh, Mark Giordano to a two year extension. Um, worth $800,000 annual. So again, the cap crunching Toronto Maple Leafs are able to continue to make it work. Uh, um, but, you know, interestingly enough, if he actually took his market value, um, supposedly he's worth around six and a half, six point three million dollars a year. So uh, I don't know if that's a hometown discount because uh, Jordan is definitely not from Toronto, I believe. But um, it does speak does speak volumes, though, uh, Noah, that when you feel good in a system, you feel good about a team's chances uh, to get to contend again. Uh, this is uh, definitely a, a, an older player, um, definitely over the hump a little bit, but still can contribute on the ice that I think um, is willing and, and is obviously putting a gamble on, on the Maple Leafs to try to win his first ever Stanley Cup um, with Mark Giordano. Yeah, a really good pickup for Toronto. Uh, and like you talked about, you know, having those defensive numbers, um, I think it was, I forget how to say his name. I always say Dom Lazukian, but that's not how you say his name. He works for the athletic and does a fantastic job yeah. with those market value analytics. And uh, um, yeah, 6.3 million was his projected value. So to get him at 800K, I would say, as you mentioned, a little bit of a hometown discount for the Maple Leafs who drastically need that and need somebody on the back end um, with the injuries they had this year but also next year just having that veteran experience and someone that they can rely on uh, through his age 40 season. International news of uh, the United States uh, at the Worlds dropping a late lead to the Czechs who captured bronze at the Worlds. Um, 
Canada scoring twice with the goalie pulled to force, force overtime in the gold medal game against Finland, but it was Sakari Mananen with the golden goal for the Finns who get uh, their second victory on the world stage, on the international stage in as many years. They're, of course, the reigning Olympic champions as well, too. So, interestingly, Canada up one to nothing to start period number three, and then they gave up three straight goals before mounting that comeback two goals with uh the goaltender pulled four to three was the final score in that one so um international news uh speaking of that canadian team there's a couple of things that we're going to get to like we mentioned in the main portion of the show that involve potentially anyway some of the players that might have been on that roster so uh, moving over to uh, some women's hockey news closer to the North American side, the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association, or PWHPA, has reportedly entered a formal agreement with Billy Jean King Enterprises and the Mark Walter Group to explore the formation of a financially stable elite league, according to the Athletics. So this reportedly will include six teams with 23 player rosters, three coaches on each team, a minimum salary of $35,000 and a league average salary of $55,000, according to Sportsnet's Jeff Merrick. Um, Nick, uh, we've talked about this round and round with women's hockey about, you know, them being able to have a league that is sustainable. Um, You know, you kind of get a glimpse of what the details might be as far as player salaries. Um, I believe the average player salary is, probably close to just under $30,000. Now I think for most players is like 22 to $30,000. So a little bit of a pay bump uh, for these players. Um, we talked about it though, Nick, you know, with only six teams, $55,000 is not a, I don't want to say it's not a livable salary, but it's a salary that is not befitting of a professional athlete in a lot of senses and may cause a lot of players to still have to work on the side with some of these things. Do you think this is a step in the right direction? Do you think there's more that needs to be ironed out as far as some of these, you know, things trying to make sure that you have sustainability and the desire for some of these players to play? Or, uh, you know, is there still more left to be desired here? There's a lot left to be desired, Noah. Um, We talked about it, right? So these are what I would call a wish list, essentially, right? Um, They want the, you know, the rosters to have this much salary, um, whether it's coaches and players, Um, but again, the part that we don't see it is how are they going to execute this? So is there going to be, Mm -hmm. um, you know, with this, you know, Mark Walter group, um, again, the financial stable part is how do you do that? You need advertisers, you need corporate sponsors, um, you need groups in to be able to commit to multi-year agreements so that way you have that sustainability one and number two, right? You can't just have it, you know, sustainable for, you know, just those numbers. You have to have opportunity for growth. Um, you have to have opportunity for expansion. So uh, this is just a very, very basics. There's really not much to this, uh, at least from my sport. There's a lot that has to be divulged. And a lot of the details are still yet to be um, ironed out, as you mentioned. So this is great that they want something that's more concrete. But as far as executing that, still a lot left that needs to be talked about. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, And I think that just the growth of the game, you know, you'd like to see them push um, for sure uh, a six figure salary um, if possible, but, you know, continue to try to bump that up to make it sustainable. You know, when you're talking about minimum salaries and and a league average salary for a lot of these players that, uh, um, 
you know, we're getting to a better place, but it's been a slow and tumultuous ride. And we're just, we're just not quite there yet. And with the rise of a lot of other sports, I know that obviously soccer worldwide or football as one would like to call it um, has a little bit more growth uh, globally, but nonetheless, they've talked about even with the U S women's team and their uh, challenges with their salaries as well, too. There's a lot of growth on the women's side for not only hockey, but a lot of sports that we still need to continue to develop and really find a sustainable future for Speaking of sustainable futures, our final topics, injury news around the National Hockey League. Let's start in Washington. Tom Wilson uh, did undergo knee surgery. He's going to miss six to eight months. Uh, Boston's Oof. Brad Marchand will miss half a year after surgery on both of his hips this past week. And Calgary's Chris Tanev, an absolute warrior for the Flames, uh, underwent surgery for a dislocated shoulder and torn labrum. He's going to be out four to six months as well. Seth Jarvis uh, leaving game seven for Carolina with an upper body injury, as did Netmider anti-ranta in period number two and welcome into the main portion of the show episode number 113 here on the huskies warming house podcast noah grant alongside nick maxson nick it's a pleasure to have you here on this monday may 30th in the evening uh show coming out tuesday morning nick you're just getting off of a plane um, so we're happy to have you here. Uh, what were you up happy to? Happy to be on the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, uh, what were you up to? And uh, the question was, was it a lot warmer than it has been here? Uh, good question. I didn't really pay, uh, pay attention. So, <laughs> Which I think is what you're supposed to do, right? Yeah, so. <laughs> sandy beaches tend to, tend to do that to you. Yeah, I was in, the, uh, was in South Florida uh, for a week. Uh, was also doing some interviews um, via telephone as well as some in-person interviews as well. So um, a lot of pleasure, if you call it. So, so a lot of just relaxing. It was kind of a post-graduation gift to myself, uh, able to kind of just go back to a place that, you know, I can really disconnect from the outside world, but also get some valuable insight to a, a lot of the conversations I had this week are pointing me in a much more uh, firm direction of where I need to go to get to my ultimate dream of television play-by-play. So I've been very, very happy with the conversations I've had, but for the most part, it's uh, been a lot of sandy beaches, a lot of warmth. It was in the low nineties. I uh, didn't have a single bad day at all. It, if it rained, it was late at night or early in the morning. So um, it was great. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, today was probably actually the worst weather day and darn near actually canceled flight uh, for those uh, in the Minnesota region, whether essentially anywhere around the state, we're just getting hammered by storms. And uh, for our plane that was scheduled to come in this afternoon, basically the pilot pilot was either we have to cancel this thing um, or we can kind of zoom our way and beat the storms. And well, we beat the storms barely. And let's just say uh, it was a bumpy ride. And so I'm, I'm happy to be uh, uh, two feet on the, on the, uh, on the earth right now. And uh, uh, away from the, uh, the kind of the, uh, the windy skies that were up there at 35,000 feet. Yeah, certainly. Uh, kind of an interesting uh, journey here, of course, for the Huskies Warming House podcast as well. We should have a normal Sunday release coming up this week, as far as I know. Um, it's the week after that's going to get a little hairy with my particular work schedule as I work that entire weekend and then some. So uh, we'll definitely keep you posted on that. But why why am I telling you this? Well, I just started my uh, first shift, the night shift in the hospital this past week, um, and I have seen... Um, I don't want to say a lot more than I bargained for, but I've seen a lot. That's for darn sure. Um, and uh, a lot of sights and smells and yelling and stuff. <laughs> Hospitals. Um, so, yeah, it's been an interesting ride. Got to see my first Code Blue, which is uh, both equally exciting and not exciting, knowing what a Code Blue is, but the patient did survive. So that's important. Um, so a lot of interesting things that I've been able to witness as far, none of which um, 
involved hockey, but we can definitely jump on over to that and some exciting things for the women's hockey program and a couple of players and getting their schedule announced. So uh, let's start with that and our two transfers that are joining the women's hockey program. Our first, a junior forward from Fargo, North Dakota, uh, Avery Myers, who played for Fargo South and the Minnesota Ice Cougars, uh, spent her first two seasons at, at New Hampshire, 10 total points in limited ice time as a freshman, a team high 23.5 shooting percentage, which equals four goals on 17 shots. And as a sophomore, uh, an equal tally, four goals on 28 shots um, this past season. Ironically enough, St. Cloud State will actually play New Hampshire on January 6th in a holiday tournament, so she'll get to see her former team in that matchup. On the other side, another junior joins the fold. This one, very exciting. Uh, kind of staying within conference a little bit. Um, Jojo Viola Choback from Chicago, Illinois, from the Chicago Young Americans, spent the past two seasons with the Duluth Bulldogs as a netminder there, appearing in 20 games uh, last season, 14 starts last year um, behind Emma Soderberg and was really the primary goalie when Soderberg left for the Beijing Olympics this past spring. In those games, Choback was 10-4-1 with three shutouts and 348 total saves, named WCHA Goalie of the Month in January after a 934 save percentage that saw a great performance against Ohio State and played over 906 minutes with a 1.79 goals against average, so a great addition along with Sonia Ahola in that and Carly Reese should she decide to return in a Husky sweater as well. So Nick, uh, two players, you kind of have a depth forward here and a goaltender that really could compete for a starting position uh, as a transfer coming in. What do you think of these two new additions uh, for the women's hockey program? Well, at least for the numbers that we see, no, I write, I really do like uh, the chillback um, addition. Um, as you mentioned before, we've, we've mentioned it um, for the men's side, right? You always want two goaltenders are trying to push each other for that primary spot, right? You always want that internal competition, um, makes them better, makes the team better. Um, so I really like that move. As far as Avery Myers goes, as you mentioned, uh, kind of a depth forward, at least from what we see, um, only 17 shots in a, in a season. That's um, been kind of the primary concern with St. Cloud State women's hockey is of late. It's not enough pucks going to the net. So hopefully mm -hmm. maybe in a more expanded role, maybe she has a similar role that maybe we get some more offensive production, at least some more chances towards the net. I uh, can't wait to see what uh, this new coach does. It is nice to see though that uh, there's some recruiting, whether it's transfers or whatever that he's, this new coach apparently is attracting some players over to the program. So great to see. And I can't wait to see them suit up in a Husky sweater. Yeah, I concur. Uh, you kind of never really know what you have till you have it. And like we talked about a new environment, uh, you know, you talked about Avery Myers and her low shot attempts, but she's able to put the puck in the net when she does have opportunities. So that's exciting. Um, and you never know it around some good players, hopefully, you know, better players, I would assume in the WCHA than, you know, maybe where New Hampshire's coming from. You never know, obviously, um, you know, good players are good players regardless, but uh, maybe being surrounded by some new players and new fresh faces might do her well and, and continuing to, uh, you know, improve that production and put that to good use uh, with some more shot volumes in addition to someone who looks like she can finish uh, into the back of the net there. And then someone who doesn't want any pucks going into the back of the net um, in Viola Choback. Uh, I'm excited for her and to see if she can push Sonia Hola for that starting spot, or maybe you get a one, a one B goalie rotation, similar to the conversation we talked about on the men's side, you know, uh, should Brett Larson maybe have rotated goaltenders a little bit more. Well, now we're going to get our answer next year to see which goalie comes out of camp um, and either takes the starting spot or if there's not a definitive, number one goaltender on either side so the schedule for the women's hockey program they do open their season on september 25th september 30th and october 1st an exhibition game on that 25th versus manitoba and a series that 
September 30th and October 1st against RPI. Those all will be at home. Ohio State, Wisconsin, Minnesota twice, St. Thomas twice, Bemidji State, and Duluth are the conference games that cap off the first half of the season, plus a non-conference series in November against Lindenwood as per usual. Uh, holiday tournament, January 6th and 7th, they face New Hampshire and Merrimack at a neutral site, and then Mankato will be visited twice or played in two separate series, four games, I should say. Ohio State, Bemidji State, Wisconsin, and Duluth in the second half. Minnesota State will be the last uh, series before uh, the WCHA quarterfinals get underway. So the women's hockey team, looking forward to them, looking forward to their schedule um, as they move forward into their new season and, and some new faces, specifically really curious to see without Emma Paluzny what the goaltending situation is really going to take hold of. I know Sonia Hola had some really good numbers, I think, heading into this season, but we're going to have to see if uh, this is her time to shine or if you have another goaltender that will challenge her for that position. Uh, Nick, Moving on to our next topic here and kind of our last topic here for the main portion of the show. Um, this is a more challenging topic for our listeners and our viewers. So we do want to mention uh, viewer and listener discretion is advised. The following story does contain depictions and graphic depictions of sexual violence and sexual assault. So we do want to put that disclaimer out there um, as we move forward into this story. Uh, with that being said, we do have a story that was broken a couple days ago by Rick Westhead once again of uh, TSN. Um, kind of in similar timing to what we saw last year where the Kyle Beach story started to break in May as well too. And Nick, this has significance not only for the fact that uh, some of these players that were on this particular team that we're about to mention did just get done playing in the World Championships, but also because the World Junior Championships that were postponed from this winter are getting ready to start in the not-too-distant future here in the summer. So um, a lot of things um, that are up in the air. But uh, allegedly from the 2018 Canadian world junior team. Um, there were allegations um, in an 18 page statement identifying John Doe's one through eight from the Canadian U 20 men's junior hockey team. Um, the allegations were as follows. And I do have the article pulled up um, on TSN for those who are wondering if you search request head in TSN. So according to this lawsuit, uh, eight players, and it was interesting because the release from TSN said eight players, either part of the team or within the CHL and then the NHL, the next statement uh, the following day released that it said all eight players were a part of this team. So we don't particularly know for sure, but it sounds like they might all eight have been a part of this team. I know a lot of people have gone back to the 2018 gold medal winning world junior Canadian team and have looked through that roster. Um, from what it seems like is that the college players were not involved. I think there were three college players, one of those being Kale McCarr. But other than that, we don't have any definitive answers and we're not here to play uh, the guessing game. But I know a lot of people definitely have gone and looked through that roster and there's some big name NHLers in here. So according to the lawsuit, the alleged assaults took place in the early morning of June 19th, 2018 um, during a two day hockey Canada event in London. Um, and the lawsuit uh, coming from uh, a female defendant um, said the John Doe's one through eight attended that Hockey Canada Foundation Gala June 18th and following the event went to a bar and restaurant in downtown London. The claim said that the plaintiff arrived at the bar at 11 p.m. where she met a hockey player not listed as a defendant who introduced her to John Doe one and his teammates. Uh, the defendant players allegedly bought the woman a number of alcoholic beverages and shots, and she became separated from her friends, growing more intoxicated as the night progressed. The plaintiff said that she so she 
excuse me, showed evident signs of intoxication, including glassy eyes, slurred speech, stumbling, and loss of balance as she left the bar with one of the players, John Doe 1, and went with him to Delta London Armory's hotel. After she engaged in sexual acts with him, John Doe 1 invited the remainder of John Doe's 2 through 7 into the room without the knowledge or consent of the plaintiff. According to the lawsuit, the players directed her to fondle her genitals and perform oral sex on them. The players also allegedly straddled the plaintiff while placing their genitals in her face, slapped the plaintiff on her buttocks, spat on her, ejaculated in and on her, engaged in vaginal intercourse with her, pressured her from leaving the room when she tried to, and engaged in other sexual activities with her. So, um, Nick, I believe the settlement, if I remember correctly, um, had a non-disclosure agreement, but it was north yes, of, I think, I think 3.5 million is what one of the reports had said. Um, all this being said, um, I mentally, my mind was aghast, mind blown at this information and how it, hockey players or otherwise, you know, this takes a backseat to how, how eight, eight people can do this to somebody else in life. Um, definitely was an eye opener for us, Nick, but your first reaction when you first heard the story, um, you know, I don't know, were you still down in Florida when you first heard the information and kind of what were your first initial thoughts as you kind of have tried to piece yes, the story to, together along with the rest of us? Uh, well, I think there's, there's two parts to this, right? Uh, first disgusted, right. At the, uh, mm. at the alleged, um, actions, um, here, but also disgusted at, um, hockey Canada as well as the CHL, because again, what kind of ticks me off more here, Noah, is the non-disclosure part was part of this agreement and a settlement, right? So this, you know, when we talk about proving things in court, when you sign a settlement, you're basically saying i'm going to pay money to drop this and more so on top of that the non-disclosure agreement that she signs um whoever the victim wasn't again all thoughts are with her as she as she's dealing with this um basically saying you can't ever talk about this ever or else whatever damage you received she'd have to pay back so what pisses me off and i i have to use that phrase i think very pointed here is that this is yet another instance in where something comes out in the public um, about these things, which unfortunately are becoming more commonly reported, which is a good thing because does that mean that these things are more frequent um, or are they just coming to light more often either way too many times, right? Noah. So this is, and just from what we're, it's been a Rick Westhead does a phenomenal job um, with TSN in terms of his reporting, the details. And unfortunately, He's kind of become sort of the you know sort of the, the ringleader in terms of these types of stories, uh, yeah. but just uh, incredible details here. Uh, again, the fact that Hockey Canada, the CHL, is essentially trying to shut this down from really going further than that um, is to me the most despicable part about this. When we need to have an open conversation about this, yes, there's a, a lot of information here that um, is is made public. Um, but again, as far as holding specific people accountable, um, as far as holding, we I see nothing in here in, in terms of what the CHL um, has. Has there been any sort of you know accountability for them or with Hockey Canada? So there's a lot of stuff that's missing here. Um, so to me, what what's, what stinks about this is again, there's no in this particular instance, there's no change that's happening. It's just yes, this happened. 
we settled it. Here's your money. Sign this non-disclosure agreement, and we're just going to wash our hands and move on. And that's the absolute wrong message to send. Yeah, well, I think that uh, you go back to what our role is as fans of the game. And the fans of the game, right. similar to the Kyle Beach incident, have, I don't want to say have a duty, but in a sense, uh, there's no other way to put it where you you can't, we can't let this drop, you know? And I think with, with the Kyle Beach piece, um, there was where it was kind of like, is this real? Is this a sort of thing? And then as the story evolved over the summer, it was like, oh yes, this is definitely real. Um, you know, and we need to be behind this as fans of the game and make sure that this uh, obviously gets addressed. Um, you know, and, and you kind of talk about it too. Now, now the other piece too, we don't know um, if, if, if the plaintiff, if, if she was essentially uh, saying, you know what, I, I want to, have this settled and I want my privacy, you know, that could be another piece of this too. You know, it could be where she wanted the non-disclosure agreement a little bit too, and just wanted to kind of move on with her life too. Um, we're not sure. Obviously that's part of the non-disclosure agreement. We're never going to know those things. I don't think at least as of now, um, one of the other allegations, uh, you know, to kind of take you through what she was going through, um, also alleging that the John Doe defendants pressured her to not report the players to police and to not cooperate with a criminal investigation after it was initiated, which, um, is is very shameful um and she has suffered mental anguish humiliation degradation shame and low self-esteem um has also impaired her ability to complete her education earn an income and establish relationships of intimacy suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder nightmares depression and suicidal ideation undergoing medical treatment and psychological counseling and will continue to require the same indefinitely throughout her lifetime i mean that's a that's a damning thing to put somebody through um and like you mentioned, I think disgusted uh, is is putting it lightly. Um, I think that, yes. of course, the Steve Dangle podcast, who was on top of this, used the word grotesque. And I think that that's a very yes. apt description of what has gone on here. So like we talked about, uh, Hockey Canada, um, who the lawsuit alleged that they ignored or failed to reasonably address institutionalized and systemic abuse, having knowledge that over the last number of years, its players were subjected to sexual assault and also encouraged to sexually assault others. They released their statement that didn't clarify whether it was just players on that team or just players, um, you know, in the CHL, along with some players on that team. So that could mean one player that was on that team and seven that were not, but also in the CHL could mean seven and one. We don't know. But then the next day, the NHL statement did read, uh, two days ago, the National Hockey League was advised of a lawsuit involving sexual allegations filed against eight unnamed members of the 2018 Canadian World Junior Hockey Team. Um, we were subsequently provided with a statement of claim containing allegations of behavior that is both abhorrent and reprehensible. We will endeavor to determine the underlying facts and to the extent this may involve players who are now in the NHL. We will determine what action, if any, would be appropriate. We have no further comment at this time. So that release talks specifically about eight unnamed members that were on that team. Like we talked about, it doesn't seem problem. that the. Yeah. Here's the problem with that. With a non-disclosure agreement, the NHL is never going to know. Yeah. That's yeah. so part of, part of my friends, the NHL is BSing everybody right now. It's a BS statement, you know, and it's, and it's interesting. Well, I don't know if it's a BS statement. What do you want the yeah, NHL to do? What do you want the NHL to do? They can't do That's anything, you know, and That's the thing. He, is... here's, here, here's the thing. If there's more information that comes out about this, 
and I and I don't know where it's going to end up because as we talked about last summer um, with the story for Kyle Beach and Rick Westhead, um, it evolved slowly over the summer, and it really was the fans that kind of pushed back at the Chicago Blackhawks during this. This is a different story when we talk about this. I think, if anything, where we might see information, um, and the Steve Dangle podcast references as well, you have – if you take out the college guys, I think there was three college guys. It was Kale McCarr and two other guys. Um, they they meant someone mentioned that Kale McCarr was definitely not involved in this, and I think that was the big one because he's probably the biggest name out of this group. Other than that, I don't know. Uh, but that brings the the total down from twenty two guys in this team to about eighteen or nineteen guys that potentially are in this pool, and you're pulling eight players from that. If you're the extra, oh I don't know, eight, nine, ten players that were not involved in this, would you not want to scream it from the rooftops that I had absolutely nothing to do with this? And I think if anything, that might be where we get our information from is, you know, if you have one player or two players that were not involved in this, who are, who are telling some sort of reporter or telling somebody, or they wanted expressed in whatever way that they were not even remotely a part of this, you start to see that number start to dwindle down as part of, you know, and that might be where we start to get the information is that you have players that legitimately weren't a part of this, that they're trying to clear their name. And Nick, that only that list only gets down to eight. And then either somebody's lying or you've got eight players who are I disagree responsible for this. You know, my my because that's that's my thought is is how else are you going to find out this information unless somebody is like, yeah, I I know nothing about this. You're I was not, not a part to. of this. Right. And here's how it's going to go. This is when you talk about the problem with hockey culture, right? It's, you know, every man for the teammates, you know, and, and you're always sticking up for your buddies. I don't believe as much as I respect and admire and would hope that we would get something like that. The problem is the other players who are not a part of it don't want to be that guy either, which means they don't want to be the ones that essentially – um, are not guilty by so by not association. It's almost the flip of it, right? Where we say yeah. this wasn't. I don't think you're going to see that um, I, because at the end of the day, they know that that's how this dwindles down. Um, and again, and with a settlement, this is now out of the legal system's hands. This is done. What does even if it was questioned, right? With an NDA, not much. NDAs usually signed on both sides, right? Um, there's no way to prove it. There's no way to fundamentally prove it. So it is a dead end one. And that's why my comment toward the NHL statement was as pointed as it was, because again, they talk about, as you read that, you know, we'll determine appropriate actions, but that would also mean that they would have to get a hold of some of that and then hold specific players accountable. Yeah. Which, but, but, but to blow but, up, but to be fair, the, the, appropriate action for the NHL um, in terms of the legal sense is doing nothing because they can't do anything. No, that's what I mean. Yeah. That's what I mean. Um, I think that, I think the fear and um, you know, we've kind of talked about this, you know, I think fans are kind of worried, obviously, you know, if you have a player that you like that was on that team worried to obviously buy jerseys or other things that represents that team in any way, shape or form or those players. But I, I believe there's a couple of uh, Chicago Blackhawks that are on that team too. And you talk about some of these organizations too, that they've already got so many of these things and so much turmoil going on that they don't want any of that added publicity that's related to those players. Um, I, I I don't know, and I and I don't know because 
hockey fans, like we talked about, can't let this die. But what can hockey fans do to, right. to kind of force force the issue a little bit here? Um, I guess my question that I would posit to you then, because you talked about how players, you know, we still haven't hit that point where hockey players are willing to out themselves. I, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not a snitch <laughs> by any means, but right. I know that if I was a player on that team and something, I mean, this is not, not, not to say there are, you know, larger and lesser amounts of sexual assault, but like the depictions that were talked about in this, these are like, like you are, not only are you complicit in the act, you are willingly jumping headfirst into those actions. If you're one of the eight John Doe's that are listening to this report here. Um, and I would not want to be associated with any part of that. I don't, I don't give a shit who was on my team. I don't care. Like that's like, I would not want to be a part of that. And my question is, if you don't believe that that is the route that any details of this might come out, what is the next step for, like you mentioned, the national hockey league or this story how would you see, is there any way that this could develop further or are we kind of stuck at a, a dead end crossroads? So here's what the leagues and I say leagues plural, right? And here's the other thing we've got to be careful of. When we say we have to make sure we're seeing the word alleged here, because again, this never made it out of court. This was never proven. This was a lawsuit that essentially was stopped in its tracks. It was settled. So we don't know that all these things that we are being reported are true to its exact form. I'm certainly not denying that they happened. I want to make sure I'm very clear on that. In fact, I believe the lawsuit and its details. However, we can't technically say that they actually happened. They're never proven. But in these, in this sense, again, if you're the NHL and you're looking for steps up, this is the, these are the leaks that have to make that first step. Because again, if the Kyle Beach story didn't prove us anything, right? And that is, there is a ripple effect, right? So uh, the Kyle Beach story, so, you know, he gets assaulted, then all of a sudden he goes on um, to Miami University. There was a threat there, um, and then goes on to a high school in Michigan where he actually does uh, make significant harm. So there needs to be some sort of, if the NHL wants to hit a home run with this, you develop some sort of anonymous tip line or you, you do, it has to be some training, right? There has to be some cultural training um, that mm. starts either at the CHL level, I would think, or the AJHL, um, the OJHL. Just, you have to start it young. You really mm. do. And then build from that in that way. When they get to the NHL level, then it's already indoctrinated to these players. And at that point, it's just a refresher course and I think it should be required at every yeah. single level, like just some sort of like sexual assault or harassment training. And you don't, you don't have to make it a day long, but you know, make it an hour, make it a two, but also there needs to be more consequences. There has to be more consequences to this. And I think there's not quite yet a zero tolerance policy, even though they say there isn't again with this lawsuit and its settlement, we're never going to see any, uh, you know, recommendation for either of those leagues from this specific case. Um, so you hope that there's some changes. But again, I think, as you mentioned with the Kyle Beat situation, I think the idea here is to we'll settle it. We'll try to maybe sweep it under the rug and just let bygones be bygones, which is not the way it should be handled. But that to me is where you would make a first step. 
Yeah. And I think that the other piece of this too, uh, it kind of in reference to what you mentioned and with Kyle Beach and that sort of thing, if anything, I, I think one of the best actions the NHL could take, like you mentioned, uh, is forming some sort of organization or committee that handles these things in general, or is kind of a representative for handling cases like this or for players who feel like, you know, they, they've been aggrieved in some way, shape or form, or you have somebody who feels they've been aggrieved by someone who is in the National Hockey League, the AHL, the ACHL, playing in those professional North American leagues or even European leagues, wherever you want to handle it, and kind of having that substantial organization, maybe headed by guys like Kyle Beach that understand the process and are, are representing a, a change in the game that takes away from, from the old school mentality of protecting, protecting the boys, essentially, and knowing that there are some actions that – they're not admissible under any circumstances, regardless of if you're a hockey player or not. This goes way beyond the game of hockey, but the game of hockey yes. has to come back into the public sector and identify themselves as an advocate for change. Like we talked about, this starts at the youth level. This starts at the junior level. This starts at the college level. Um, the professional level is where we see the most intricacies as far as the cases but that's not where all of this starts and oftentimes a lot of these victims happen in those younger ranks a lot you know a long time and before it, some of these things and they get buried because right, just, they never get reported correct yeah, they're ne they're never a part of this so um yeah it, it like you mentioned it, it pisses me off too it's it's ridiculous that um anybody would think to do this much less um players that are supposed to identify that are future stars or um, current all-stars in the game of hockey uh, in the national hockey league. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a damning indictment on some of these players should they have been involved. And if you want to hit a home run, you know what sports should do. And when I say sports, how about the big four, the NHL, the NFL, the NBA, and the and major league baseball, you form an independent committee whether it's attorneys or something like that. And it, it, maybe it's an anonymous tip line for victims. Maybe it's an anonymous tip line for teammates, right? And because you can't be a part of any player association because, again, they're advocates for the player. So they're already in a conflict of interest there, right? Um, players, agents, same thing. The league is going to do what the leagues are going to do, which is going to try to protect their image and protect their likeness, right? So – maybe that's what it needs to be. Maybe it's just to be like some sort of, you know, com uh, conglomerate where, you know, it's an organization that can essentially act on behalf of all four of the major sports and kind of be an independent body. I think if something like that was created, Noah, can you mention how powerful that would be if, you know, yeah. and again, they don't necessarily have to work in the public eye unless they had to, but let's just say that they get a call. They, they do the investigations. They would have to have agreements with every league that, if they get a formal statement or enough to, to investigate that they have full reins um, to interview people, whether it's people that are directly involved, indirectly involved, that could have been witnesses. Um, mm -hmm. And then whether it's make recommendations to um, I shouldn't say recommendations, but also work hand in hand with maybe a local law enforcement that's in that jurisdiction. So yeah. that way these people are held accountable, or I know that I hate to say it the other side, but if it is, you know, just, to say a false claim, but because they're very, very low, but then you can go that route as well. Right. So, yeah. you, um, you know, you know, I, I like, I like that idea, you know, uh, as we kind of wrap up this topic here, um, you know, what puts a chill down my spine? The fact that if you created a committee like that, think about how busy they would be. You know what I mean? Think, think about how busy they would be. Part. 
But here's the thing. Here's the positive thing about that. If let's just say this committee does form, and let's say it is busy, and now we 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 talked about the conversation not letting it slip, right? Now you can't let it slip because it's independent. Yeah, it's its own entity, and I think just the threat, right? So, again, the death. We're gonna go off topic just a little bit, but the death penalty and stuff like no one wants to, you know, it's okay. You can marry, I'll kill you. Kill. That's not arm for arm. That's not how this works, right? But it's the threat of something that is supposed to be a preventative measure right yeah keep things in just, check yeah right i think even just having that committee there and seeing some of the work that they would do again all things working that we it would envision them to do i think would have a dramatic impact um on you at least you would hope on some of these things because they, they know that it's, it's not going to get on the rug it's going to get found out and you're going to be held accountable, whether it's um, a player, a front office person, a team, an organization, somebody, and it's not going to be getting away with. And I think that's the important thing is can't have the you can't have the leagues and essentially associations handle this by themselves because it's just going to be swept in the rug way too much. It's got to be an independent committee um, that works in tandem being with local law enforcement. So that way these things are properly investigated and people that are found guilty of these make sure I say that are held accountable to the way that they should be. Yeah, I definitely agree. Not a, not a fun story to talk about, but something that definitely needs to be addressed here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. We'll keep you up to date on anything and any developments that we hear related to this story. You mentioned the National Hockey League um, and the governing body. Well, the NHL playoffs are in full swing. Uh, Round two just finished up about 10 minutes ago. So we're going to recap round number two and preview the conference finals for the Western and Eastern Conference. Welcome into the Extra Ice session. Nick Maxson is joining myself, Noah Grant, here for episode number 113. And uh, just like two weeks ago, the timing couldn't be better. Um, plane rides notwithstanding there, Mr. Maxson. Uh, round two has been right. completed, and round three uh, is ready to get started what would be tomorrow for us, but what should be today or later for those listening when the show comes out Tuesday morning. Uh, let's start in the Eastern Conference. Uh, this one just wrapping up tonight about 10 minutes ago. Um, Carolina losing this series 4-3 to three to the New York Rangers, losing Game 7 by a score of 6-2. to two. They were down 4 to nothing at one point. Interestingly enough, the Hurricanes, Nick, scored only three goals in a game in this series only one time. That was a three to one victory in game five uh, through all seven games of the series. So the offense running a little bit dry, um, some goaltender uh, soirees, if you will, but um, how this, about not this, winning a game on the road? Yeah. This New York Rangers team uh, has all the makings of what we've seen from Stanley cup contenders in years past, where they have that stingy scrappy bulldog mentality where they're never out of the fight unless you make them. And so far they've been pushed to two game sevens and uh, yeah, they've gotten the job done both times. Yes, they have. Um, and they're going to be tested. Uh, you talk about a team that is also can be scrappy. That can also, you know, have offense and more. So both these teams are led by the goalie, uh, by their goaltending. Again, Igor Shesterkin, um, on one side, Andre Vasilevsky on the other. Um, again, one team that's won back-to-back -back cups. The Rangers looking uh, to hoist the cup for the first time since 93, I believe, if I if I was at 92 or 93. 94. Uh, so either – 94. So, okay. Yeah. Mark Messier, come on, man. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Option C, that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah. So, but, um, so but you, great, great matchup. 
Yeah, it should be good. We're definitely going to preview it in just a few moments here. Like you mentioned, their other opponent, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, winning their series by a score of four to nothing. Florida held mm-hmm. to only three goals over the course of four games, outscored thirteen to three in this series. Um, geez, Tampa Bay looked like a team that was I don't want to say shaky in the first round, but they kind of you know they kind of did what good championship teams do, where they found they found a couple of bounces, a little bit of puck luck from the hockey gods. In the second round, they just said, uh, "Yeah, we're here to actually play now." And geez, what a second round it is! Mm-hmm. You wonder how the time off is going to affect Tampa Bay. Will it be great for them? As I believe game number one for this series is going to be on Wednesday, um, or if uh, it's going to favor uh, a team that's just been, come off playing in the New York Rangers. We'll preview that in just a second. Um, but Tampa Bay and Florida. What surprised you besides, you know, the fact that Florida didn't win a hockey game? Uh, I think the biggest thing was Florida's offense just disappeared. Um, mm-hmm. That was a team that could essentially score at will. Um, that's kind of what carried them through. And uh, another part of it, and I think this also made us nervous you know, throughout the season, is that team showed a lot of resilience um, in the regular season. But, again, it was one of those trends that you didn't want to see kind of continue um, late in the season. And, uh, again, when you go go into the playoffs if you go to uh, good teams especially back-to-back cup champions know how to shut things down and uh, again uh, power play was also terrible uh, special teams were not great it just seemed like Florida for whatever reason just didn't have it in the second round and I mentioned this to you last week um, just before I uh, taken off again uh, speaking of plane rides that um, when uh, Tampa went up two nothing that series was over and it wasn't going to be close. I just, I, I just had the feeling that Tampa was like you mentioned uh, there to, uh, to win this and win this quick. And I do think that once you get into later rounds, that rest is going to be huge, um, especially for a team uh, like Tampa. And then again, the Rangers coming off a, a game seven. Um, so they're going to be tired, a little bit winded. I think the rest is really going to benefit Tampa. Although I, I believe game one should be um, an MSG. If I recall, I should, I think Tampa is the visiting team. Um, yep. If I saw that correctly. So um, yeah, we'll have to see what game one brings, but sometimes, uh, when you're the trainers rolling and you only need that one deck, you want to keep playing hockey. So we'll see. It's a great matchup. Again, as you mentioned, uh, goaltending should be great. Special teams when these two squads are going to be, um, a, a thing of beauty to watch. And, and then of course, uh, how about some great, uh, great players in both sides. How about Adam Fox? Holy cow. 18 points on the blue line, uh, coming into game seven. And then again, on the opposite side, uh, holy cow. Well, I mean, what can you see much of Victor Hedman being a beast, Steven Stamkos fighting form. Uh, Nikita Kucherov playing well. I wonder if Braden Point uh, will be available for Tampa. That would be huge if he's able to return. So we'll have to see um, any update on him. But it's going to be a hell of an Eastern Conference final. I'm excited to watch it. Yeah, Adam Fox with the opening goal in Game 7 against Carolina. That matchup, like you talked about, I believe starts on Wednesday. We'll talk about that series uh, in just a few moments here. We're going to move to the Western Conference here and a series that I predicted Colorado would win in five. They were a goal away in overtime from doing so. They push it to six games uh, and it was Darren Helms scoring with five seconds left in that hockey game uh, to bounce the St. Louis blues four to two in that series. Uh, Nazem Kadri, uh, his hat trick in game four, a little bit of beef with David Perron, which uh, mm. it's good that Perron missed with that flying elbow after coming out of the box when Kadri scored, because we could be talking about a very different thing there, but um, yeah, you know what? To be honest with you, I, I didn't think St. Louis, like I, I'll stick by my guns, I didn't think they looked all that formidable in that second round. I was talking with a buddy who uh, is a big Az fan, and this Colorado team is just really good. I mean, there were some question marks heading into the playoffs with their they stretch losing, losing five of their last six. But, um, you know, once they got into playoff time, this Avs team 
I uh, they've they've been a train that's definitely been flying down the tracks. They have, and, and that's how they've been doing it too. Is they just they just are way too fast, um, front and back. And I mean, you talk about Kale McCarr and you know the postseason he's having. He's essentially the defenseman uh, duplicate of Nathan McKinnon. He's just unbelievable in his edge work, uh, great shot, great vision, and also plays pretty darn good defense also in the back end. And how about Nazem Kadri? Um, again, a controversial. Maybe, uh, you know, against uh, Jordan Bennington, taking him out with the injury, although um, I think he was pushed in. I don't really yeah. think that was Kadri that uh, made that. But again, uh, public enemy number one for Blues fans, <laughs> right? Um, I do think, however, no, I, I still think you're right that Colorado may have won that series. But I do think it would have it probably was stretched to six, if not seven, had Jordan Bennington been able to continue on in that series. I, you could tell Billy Huso, um, you know, was, was not ready for that type of spotlight just yet. Um, and again, with St. Louis, uh, especially after Bennington got injured, you could tell that uh, they were they had one thing on their mind, and it wasn't winning hockey games. It was trying to essentially employ as much pain as possible. And so uh, not a strategy to, uh, that's going to win your our second round series, unfortunately, against a high-flying Avs team that um, showed up and uh, you know, really took it to the St. Louis Blues. But uh, yeah, it's going to be Colorado's just – they're a wagon for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I just – Colorado for me, it just – I thought outplayed St. Louis in a lot of facets and just really controlled the better part of a lot of those hockey games and opportunistic when they had to be, um, you know, the thing about Nazem Kadri too, and, and we've talked about it, you know, he's had his playoff suspensions and that sort of thing. But honestly, I think he handled the situation perfectly and, you know, people want to hate on him, you know, for whatever reason, I don't think he did anything wrong, you know, just crashing the crease as normal uh, against Bennington. But beyond that, um, honestly, the St. Louis Blues, in some senses, did get beat by one guy, and that was Nazem Kadri because they allowed him to get into their head. You know, you look at the double penalty, and then Kadri scores right after both of those expire on the five-on-three. David Perron, you know, is frustrated with that sort of thing. You know, those are things that can't happen in uh, playoff time. And, you know, say what you want about the guy, but he had 87 points in the regular season. He's been a producer in the playoffs. Uh, obviously, beyond that hat-trick in game number four, Kadri has been impressive uh, in a lot of facets for the Avalanche. And, uh you can say what you want about his suspension history, but he's been really impressive to me as far as a lot of aspects um, related to um, his time with the Avalanche, which could be coming to an end after this season because he's definitely due, I think, for a pay raise uh, at number 91. Uh, moving over to the Battle of Alberta, and it wasn't much of a battle, Nick, um, unfortunately, mm -hmm. for Calgary Flames fan. 4-1, to one, the Edmonton Oilers um, somewhat handily took care of the Calgary Flames. Um, kind of interesting, Calgary... Um, only scoring 20 goals in this series, giving up 25. But how about this? Their lowest goal in game one. <laughs> yeah, their lowest goal amount that they were able to hold the Oilers to was four goals in game three. They gave up six in game one, five in games two, four, and five, and four in game number three. I mean, that's not a recipe for success in any team in the playoffs. And Edmonton doing what they had to do, McDavid yeah. and Dreisaitl, each with 26 points for the first two rounds, which is – um, equally impressive considering dry settle can hardly Nasty. move half the time. Um, and Evander Kane is on pace for 24 goals in the postseason. He has 12 now, um, which would eclipse his 22 that he had in the regular season in 43 games played. He's been a wagon. Um, you know, before uh, let's dissect the series and then we're going to talk a little bit about game five, obviously a particular incident in game number five. But were you surprised more that Edmonton's offense was that potent and that dynamic? Or were you surprised that Calgary had no offense and was able unable to contain uh, that top line to the Oilers. Uh, 
I don't know if it was just a top line issue with, with Calgary. Again, Daryl Sutter, his, his MO is, you know, take care of your own end. Um, that's how he won two Stanley Cups with the LA Kings. Uh, you know, Jacob Markstrom, uh, your pick for the Vezina did not look like a Vezina candidate goaltender um, in that series, although I don't think you can really fault him. I think he was hang, hung out to dry quite a few times. Um, and we probably saw a bit of a preview that game one. It was at nine to six. Um, yeah. was the final score uh, Calgary getting uh, game to one. Um, but again, you, you, they blew a four to one lead, at least a three goal lead at one point uh, Calgary did. So th- there was some troubling yeah. concerns there, but yeah, and again, they, uh, they David, were, he, he's tough to, he's tough. Yeah. They were up six to two. The flames were, and it ended up being six, six, six before they, okay. en- but they ended up winning nine to six. And like you talked about, you take away those nine goals in game number one, they only scored 11 goals through the last four games of that series. So, and I think it was, um, McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Kane, they each average um, eight points over the last three games of that series versus each of the players for the top line, uh, Lindholm, Kachuk, and Goudreau for the Flames. I think each average one or two points um, through those final three games of the series. So you talk about a swing. Um, you know, the Flames, for whatever reason, just didn't have it. And, um, you know, that, that's where I kind of wonder – um, you know, even with game five, had Calgary escaped that their underlying numbers, they were giving up too many odd man rushes when they were on the power play, even just did not look good. So let's talk about the incident from game number five. Uh, you have a player driving to the crease, um, a puck that's pretty much rolling into the net. And, uh, Nick, I think it's safe to say, uh, between you and I and everybody else here, that was not a kicking motion in the least. That was a player stopping no. just going towards the net. And I, I, the fact that they disallowed that goal when they've allowed so many others that have looked like Lionel Messi free kicks. Uh, yeah, this is an embarrassment for the NHL and the officiating crew. hundred uh, percent. And it's, it's, it's interesting too, because what I want to know is again, in the rule book, it states distinct kicking motion, yeah. keyword distinct. What in the hell was distinct about that? As far as a kicking motion, yeah. that's what I want to know. Um, so the only thing that I could, that I've watched it like everybody else, right? You watch it like 12 different times. You see all the camera angles. Are they really trying to say that he distinctly put his foot up there to stop, to push the puck in, which if that's the case, that's still not a kicking motion. Yeah. It's just redirecting. And you know, I just, I'm I'm trying to, I'm I'm trying to figure out like where they made the call. And Uh, this is, I just, and I can't figure it out. And this is where we talk about officiating themes, you know, and they've talked so much about, you know, what makes a distinct kicking motion, Truly and honestly, I think that you have to lift your steel off the ice and it has to obviously look like a kicking motion. I think, you know, if you have a puck that's filtered towards the front of the net and your foot is on the ice and you're able to redirect your ankle in one direction or the other, because like if you think about it, you know, for those of you driving in your car, um, do this safely. Or if you're sitting at home or whatever, you know, try to rotate your ankle in one direction or the other very quickly. Like it doesn't go very far in terms of trying to redirect a puck if it was in front of you. So, you know, if you're able to keep, you know, the heel of, you know, your skate on the ice or something like that. I mean, even then to call that a distinct kicking motion is mm, a bit tumultuous at best. When I think of a kicking motion, I think of, you know, like a soccer kick where you're legitimately kicking the puck, lifting your leg up and kicking. You're propelling forward and accelerating the puck forward. That's the thing. Uh, Or should I say toward the net? Maybe is the better way to phrase it. Um, And again, I just don't know how that was integrated in that call. It just does. I just, it befuddles me on how they reverse that call. Uh, but to your point, Noah, the, the bigger question is 
let's say that they do escape it. Do you really think Calgary comes back in the series? I don't think they do. That's, that's what I'm saying. You know what's interesting? We talk about the rule changes so much. We had the two disallowed goals back-to-back in the Tampa series. Surprise, it took nine and a half minutes to figure out that a puck hit the netting. Yikes. Um, but the other thing, uh, face-off win that was a hand pass, essentially. Um, should hand passes be allowed all over the ice, not in the defensive zone? Yes or no? No. You don't think so? No. I mean, I, th- I, I think they should. I think hockey's hard enough that – why why you can't because here's the thing when you make a hand pass you can't close your hand on the puck anyway so you have to flick it with your fingers or flick it with the top of your hand I, like i don't know like like to me uh, obviously it was a hand pass i'm not here to argue it was the correct call on the ice um but like you're telling me that that play ruined the integrity of the game i don't think so you know what i mean like hmm, interesting just an interesting no thought, i get right? it and and here's and here's something else interesting too. Does a player like Trevor Zegras and what he can do, um, you know, with putting the puck up on his blade and whatnot? If we start seeing that more of a trend, sorry, John Tortorella, um, maybe that does get looked at as far as hand passes because if pucks are going to be in the air more, and maybe you have to bat it down or what, maybe they do look at that in the future. But I think, I, I think it's fine the defensive zone because it's not giving you an advantage kind of a thing. Um, and again, pucks are moving so fast to, mm. you know, half the time. So I don't know. And maybe it's a safety issue. Maybe that's part of it because you're whacking sticks. I don't know the full answer on that. I'm fine with the way it yeah. is now, but I could see it being looked at in the future, especially yeah. if we start seeing uh, more Zoros and, uh, you know, Michi- you know, Michigan's being pulled off by uh, uh, more of these younger players coming up through the ranks. Yeah. Well, I mean, it certainly, it certainly doesn't bother me now. I should say just kind of some no, food for right. thought. You, you know, it's, you know, it's interesting if I wrote, if I can interpret the rule correctly, theoretically, should you not close your hand on the puck? Technically, couldn't you keep your hand open and technically, I don't want to say dribble, but that's, that's the only way I can think of where you could technically just keep batting the puck up in the air and skate down the ice. If no one took the puck away from you, you could technically do that. Could you not? You know what I'm saying? Like where you could have your hand open so. and, ju- and just, game. yeah, but you're not closing your hand on the puck. No, I think that'd be a delayed game. I know, but I, I think you have to drop it. Doesn't the rule say you have to drop it? I'm not sure. That's a good question. I, I think it does. More, more food for thought. If you know the answer, if you're watching on the YouTube page, definitely put it in our comments or tweet us at Warming House Den. We'd love to know how stupid I really am. Or you just found a loophole. Yeah. I probably didn't. I'm probably just stupid. That's probably the, the legitimate answer. But but nonetheless, what isn't stupid? Um, conference final time, Western and Eastern Conference. The Western Conference begins uh, tomorrow night slash today, if you're listening on Tuesday, um, at 7 p.m. Central Time is game number one between the Colorado Avalanche and Edmonton Oilers. Colorado will be the host team for games one and two. Let's look back at uh, the season series between these two teams. Only two matchups for both of these squads, and they both came in March. March 9th, Colorado a 2-1 to one victory in the shootout and then march 22nd edmonton six colorado three so a split in that series um between the oilers and the abs only two meetings in the regular season um nick this is an interesting matchup because edmonton has kind of come out of nowhere and been this productive team albeit with the gaffes um of mike smith having a zero percent save percentage from shots beyond the far blue line um it's Whoops. it's <laughs> it's been interesting how edmonton's ride they've they kind of remind me of the Rangers a little bit where they've had a little bit of hiccups along the road, but they've been able to alleviate them in some way or some fashion. They're going to run into a Colorado team that is about as well-oiled of a machine as we've seen in the West. Who do you think comes out of this one? How many games will it be? And what are the key factors? Oh boy. Uh, key factors. Uh, Colorado shoot from beyond the blue line. You're going to score. No, <laughs> uh, 
here's the thing. Colorado, first thing is it's their speed. You have to, and the other thing is for Colorado defensively, who do you match up against McDavid and Dreisaitl? I think that's the big thing is how do you, you know, try to, because you're never going to shut them down, but how can you maybe limit their scoring chances? Uh, that's the big thing for Colorado. Um, and also, how about Darcy Kemper, right? If he can, if not steal you a game, I think that would be huge. And again, same thing, Edmonton. Mike Smith's going to be important um, in this matchup because, uh, as we know, with uh, Colorado, a lot of firepower. They're deep this year. Um, again, they've done something that uh, I've been kind of calling for is that you know, they split up the big three of Landis, Gaga, Rantanen, and McKinnon. Um, so now they're a very good one-two punch. Nazem Kadri, holy cow, if he continues his ride, he's going to be tough. And then on the Edmonton side, again, uh, just continue to create space and time for McDavid and dry settle. Um, you need Mike Smith to, to be the goaltender that's gotten you here to the, the, the conference finals and defensively, how, how do you slow down Colorado? Like the neutral zone is going to be really important for Edmonton, maybe forcing Colorado to do a dump and change and not allow them to puck possession, the carry-ins that Colorado likes to I me. Mean, that's going to be where this series is one is going to be in between the blue lines uh, to try to slow down Colorado. And for Edmonton, uh, how can you get McDavid and Dreisel, some of your other guys freed to get in on the rush? Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, I feel like the the home team is going to have the advantage here because that that line change and line matchup for those first units Last is going to be imperative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. Um, yeah. So um, it's going to be interesting. Um, I have the Colorado Avalanche in six games. I think the Avs, again, are just too well-oiled of a machine. They probably got the better goaltending, um, like you mentioned, as long as Darcy Kemper stays on form. Um, And their offensive potency, they've got so many weapons in their top nine that I don't know that if you go pound for pound, I know Calgary was the same way and they got bounced, but I think that the offensive weapons are maybe a little bit deeper for Colorado than they were for Calgary. Edmonton might have a tougher time mitigating some of those chances. I think it's Colorado in six. I think Colorado takes it in five. Okay. I'm going to go five. I just, yeah, I just, you're, this. you're, you're turning into me now. I know. I figured, I figured why not give it a stab, right? Oh. Uh, no, I know, right? <laughs> no, but, but in all honesty, though, I think the speed, the team speed, especially in the back end of a club, is going to pose a lot of problems for Edmonton um, just because it's posed problems for everybody else so far this season. I just don't know how Edmonton's going to slow them down again. You can make the argument on the side, how do you slow down McDavid and Dreisaitl? Um, but again, you know, McDavid drives possession. I think uh, Dreisaitl can do that. I think he's more the recipient of the possession created by McDavid. Um, that's why those two are so potent. And again, the depth of Edmonton just isn't as great um, there. And, and getting uh, one thing we haven't talked about enough, Noah, is how good Colorado is, is in transition hockey. The way that they can move from defense to offense, the way they get up the ice north and south. Um, I don't know. I just I just feel like Edmonton's going to have a hell of a time slowing down. Not just that way, old machine, the one that runs uh, basically in six gear at 6,000 RPM at all times. Yeah, definitely. Begins Tuesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. That one's going to be on TNT. Our Wednesday matchup is the Eastern Conference Game 1 at Madison Square Garden. That will also be at 7 o'clock Central Time on ESPN. And it's the matchup, the Rangers and the Lightning. And the season series in this one, three matchups between these two teams. And the New York Rangers swept the season series four to three shootout win on December 31st, a four to nothing victory on January 2nd, and then a two to one win uh, against the Tampa Bay lightning on March 19th. Boy, 
these are two teams that just will not go away no matter how hard you try to push them to the brink. Um, Tampa, much more impressive second round for them, obviously, against the Panthers. The time off will be the question mark, I think, in this series. The New York Rangers, can they be rested and healthy? And can they find a way to solve the Tampa Bay Lightning? Because no one for the past, uh, well, let's just put it this way, the last uh, eight playoff series and now 10 playoff series have been able to solve the back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. Can the Rangers and the Young Guns do it? Um, Can we say this one might come down to goaltending? Oh, you don't say? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. Obviously, these teams are led by their goaltending. And uh, Shesterkin, as I mentioned before, and Vasilevsky. Um, But again, uh, and how about this? Great Blue Lenders and Hedman and Fox, right? A couple of guys have been uh, Vezina Trophy, or not Vezina, Nick Norris Trophy finalists. They've been okay. They've been all right. Um, And then you got some great, uh, you know, uh, weapons up front again, Kucherov and Stamkos for... Uh, for Tampa, you also have uh, Panarin. You have got Chris Kreider. You have Mika Sabanajad there for the uh, the Rangers. Uh, hard to really find a true weakness for both these squads. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, it comes down to goaltending. But yes, I'm doing this. Tampa, Tampa. <laughs> to me, I just I just don't know. I I think they're destined to, to three peat. I do. So so you know, yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm that's gonna my, go with this. That's my rap. I, I'm gonna go with. <laughs> I'm going to go with the safe option here. Um, I'm going to go with the New York Rangers in seven because that just seems like the recipe here. Um, I think the Rangers get it done. Right. I really do. For, for whatever reason, this team has found ways to win hockey games in unique fashion. They've won low-scoring games. They've won high-scoring games. They've won games with a lot of power play goals. They've won games with a lot of penalty kills that weren't yeah. successful. They've won in all different fashions. And Tampa Bay has, too. I think um, – you know, these are going to be two high-powered series, but I think this Eastern Conference matchup has a serious amount of intrigue. So I think the New York Rangers take this one in seven. I'm assuming Tampa Bay in six, probably six. for you. Yep. yep. Uh, yeah. So um, it's going to be an interesting matchup. We're going to have to see who makes the Stanley Cup final. Um, should be exciting. I'll reiterate it one more time. Tomorrow night slash today, uh, Tuesday, 7 p.m. Central Time on TNT, Colorado, Edmonton, all the games for the Western Conference, I believe, are going to be on TNT for the most part. And then for the Eastern Conference, is going to be those ESPN matchups starting at 7 o'clock Central on Wednesday. Rangers host Game 1, Colorado Avalanche host Game 1 on the Western Conference side. Nick, uh, anything else to add for the show? Uh, well, Kevin Fiala hasn't been traded yet, so that's good. <laughs> Don't hold your breath. Um, and we have not as well, yes, too. I'm, tr- I'm, uh, I'm triggering the Wild fans, so. Uh, it doesn't take much, Nick. I think they do it by themselves. I think that's. I think. I think they. Did, yeah. I think the Wild fans did what the Carolina Hurricanes did in Game Seven: self sabotage. Um, yeah. Beyond beyond that, um, I'm gonna guess that we're gonna have a regular uh Sunday release. Um, we might even record on Saturday night this week. Um, for the Huskies Warming House podcast, and the week after, we're gonna keep you posted because my work schedule is not advantageous for the status of the show. Let's just put it that way. So, um, we'll keep everybody informed. Um, that will do it for the Huskies Warming House podcast in episode number 113. For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. <laughs> Timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL again!
2.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.